Sci-Fi Malady. Symptom 224. Tuvix. Tuvix. Two characters in one. It's double the Star Trek and Big Conundrum. Oh yeah, two Vix. Two characters in one. It's double the Star Trek and quite the conundrum. Hello, sickies. If you're wondering, hey, don't you usually have music accompanying your horrible singing and caterwailing? Yes, but we've decided since Voyager is what? The least liked Star Trek series out there that's not Kurtzman? It doesn't get that kind of treatment. It gets just my horrible caterwailing. Which brings us to this month, sickies, trekking into the new year, our annual tradition, which I've come to enjoy myself. But that also means that I give up the first chair and head it over to our resident Trekkie, Scott. So before Scott takes over, though, I have one question, and this will lead us to your takeover. Why were you hesitant to do Voyager last year? And why is Voyager considered one of the lesser liked Trek series. I don't know if it's okay. Let me put it like this. I don't dislike Voyager. It's still Star Trek. It's still significantly better Star Trek than anything in the Kurtzman universe or the JJ Abrams universe. Those abominations are still far less Star Trek at its core than, than this show is. But I think what it comes down to is okay. Like I watched more of Voyager in its live run than I did DS9, which was going on at the exact same time. At the time, that was because Voyager was familiar. But I think that was also part of its downfall. Deep Space Nine was on the station, and that didn't interest me as much. It was more like, you know, a Babylon 5 type of deal, you know? Um, Voyager was Star Trek The Next Generation Season 8, which is also... One of its biggest drawbacks. Um, did Voyager have great moments and good moments like this episode? Yes. But Voyager also had drawbacks that can't be explained away because they had made all of these mistakes with Star Trek The Next Generation and should have known how to fix them. They knew that shows had to be character-centric. Okay, this is a Janeway story. This is a Chakotay story. This is a Harry Kim story. They knew they had to do that. Um... They knew they knew they had to have semi-arcs and themes. They knew they had gone through these mistakes, being overly preachy, not having tension between the crew. These were all things that they knew were mistakes in Next Generation, and they had solved, and then they forgot that they solved them all. Um, Voyager also should have given us something that it forgot how to be. And in the times when Voyager remembers what the show is supposed to be, Equinox... The Year from Hell, Timeless, these become excellent episodes. And these are supposed to be, Voyager is supposed to be about a Starfleet vessel that is separated from the Federation. A captain on her own that can't go to her superiors when the tough situations and questions need to be answered. A ship that doesn't have infinite resources and the ability to repair itself. And a ship that is a divided crew. Two-thirds Starfleet... One-third rebel Maquis terrorists who three days ago were fighting against Starfleet and you were trying to arrest. Most of these Maquis terrorists were people who had left Starfleet 
because they so vehemently disagreed with what they were doing in the Cardassian demilitarized zone and abandoning those Federation citizens that they felt that the Federation had punched them in the face and they had no choice but to leave it and fight against it because it had betrayed everything it was supposed to be. There was supposed to be tension between these crews. That never happens. You get a glimpse of what that should have been in one of the later episodes where they find Tuvok's half-written holodeck program for Chakotay's mutiny. But the show just kind of said, you know what? We can do all of this. Limited resources, a ship that can't fix itself, a captain who can't find a magic third way out where she keeps her morality intact and clings to her principles. We can do all that. Or we can do Star Trek The Next Generation Season 8, hit the reset button, the ship is always shiny, bright, and new, and everyone's alive, we're fully crewed, and we never have um, problems. And they chose to go the other way, because it was easier to write that way. Which is absurd, because tension creates good writing. So, why do I think that Voyager doesn't stand up to the test of time? At the time in its first run, Voyager was more popular than Deep Space Nine. But when you go back and rewatch Voyager... And you rewatch Deep Space Nine, to me, there is much more of substance, much more high quality writing, better drama, more consistent characterization in that show, in Next Generation, in the original series than there is in this series. That being said, I do find Voyager enjoyable. There are episodes we won't get to, like Tinker Tinner, Dr. Spy, which is some of the best comedy in Star Trek. If you want to see a great moment, watch when... The, the doctor's on the bridge trying to play the command hologram because they've been watching his daydreams and they think he's like this ultimate tactical commander who can destroy species 8472 in the Borg. And he goes, Tuvok, arm the photonic cannon. And Tuvok kind of like rolls his eyes and goes, aye, arming photonic cannon. And it's just, it's fantastic. It's some of the, and Robert Picardo is a gem. The guy who plays the holographic doctor. He is the breath of fresh air in that entire series to to and had to be because you had the albatross and and uh, ball and chain around the show's ankle that was Neelix. And that's nothing against Ethan Phillips, but the character of Neelix was someone who in season three, when they decided to kill off a character, it should have been Neelix and not Kes. So uh, the question is, then normally, I don't know if you did it last year, but you always have a list of the honorable mentions and you did it for uh next gen i believe you did it for tos did you do it for ds9 last year an honorable mention i think episode? i kind of lumped it into the oh, trekking I, into the new year okay i will go Are through and have an honorable mention episode because for listen, voyager yeah okay. i'm still i'm still struggling there's only one other episode that's locked in i'm going to tell you right now um the q and the gray where you meet the second Q and you go to the continuum, the last good Q episode done could make it. Bride of Chaotica could make it. Tinker Tenor Dr. Spy could make it. Um, the Thaw could make it. Um, Scorpion is always right up there. Um, there are a lot of episodes that I could go back and pull and say, you know, I, I'm still sorting this one out in my mind. And the reason for that is, unfortunately, it's another backhanded compliment to Voyager. Voyager had a lot of pretty good episodes, had its fair amount of great episodes or good episodes, pretty good episodes, above average episodes. Very, very rarely was Voyager great. And if I made a list of the top 50 episodes of Star Trek, I don't think Voyager is going to make it there that many times. Um, and that leads us to today of Tuvix. And 
every episode that I have thrown on the list for Next Generation, TOS, and Deep Space Nine would rank ahead of Tuvix. Probably when we get to the animated series, those will rank ahead of Tuvix. That's not to say Tuvix is a bad episode, because it's a good episode. Um, and it's a weird choice. So then Best of Both Worlds is better than Tuvix. <laughs> Far and away. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say this. In the animated series, where Kirk travels to the center of the galaxy, befriends the devil, and the magics of Megas 2 is better than Tuvix. Ooh. For the sheer craziness of the fact that Gene Roddenberry, on a Saturday morning cartoon for kids, sent the message of, kids, the devil is just misunderstood. I'm pretty sure you just like that for that reason, because as an episode itself, it's not very good. And then... The craziness of that, which I'm realizing now, might be the whole premise for the series Lucifer. <laughs> I'm just, and where I'm they just, took that idea. I'm just saying, I think I, you like it for the oddballness of it. Oh, not yeah, the, the oddball Not the corniness. writing of it. The writing of it is kind of cringy. I agree. I agree. Uh, uh, no, if, if I'm being fair, the magics of Megas 2 is not better than this episode. So, Tuvix, weird episode. Weird choice, probably. Thomas kind of looked at me and said, of all the episodes you could have chosen, I'm surprised about this one. Yes, but again, I am I kind of get it because, again, I know you. And this is one of those things I like. I understand where you come from because it's this it's a mind thing. It's one of those that you really have to think and it works on you. The one thing that you love about sci-fi. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Actually, I wasn't surprised at all. I got a measure of a man vibe. Yep, out of this because it presents a moral dilemma related to personhood, which you are an absolute sucker for. Yep. You are a huge sucker for this. So, yeah, this falls under the, uh, though it may not be as good as Measure of a Man, it's in the same vein. Yes. So I'll say this. And then, Mark, you want to take a, after I'm done with this, take a shot at a recap. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Okay. So here we go. Oh, I got to do one interesting fact. Fun fact in general about Voyager so that we stay informed, informed. You know why the nacelles tilt sideways before Voyager goes to warp? No, it was supposed to solve the dilemma issued in season seven of Star Trek that warp drive was destroying subspace. So they were going to tell you that by tilting the nacelles that way. They fixed the distortion problem that was going on to because Star Trek Next Generation Season 7 set up a maximum speed limit of warp five for all Federation ships, which they then forgot about by season one. Voyager. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, they forgot they, that quick Voyager in this episode was going six point nine. It lasted for the back half of season seven of Next Generation. And they said, this was a terrible idea. How do we solve this? Ooh, the nacelles go. And then they just said. Oh, this is stupid. Everyone's going to forget about this and it's continuity or no one's going to care about. We'll just hand wave it away off screen. Okay, so Tuvix. Why did I choose this? I usually do a why did this make the list? Mm. Some things that I'll elaborate on more later. It demonstrates Kate Mulgrew's formidable skills as an actress in play. She doesn't always get to use them, but they put Kate Mulgrew on display here as an actress. And she does. Some, I'll talk about it more. She Who's does some Kate Mulgrew, by the way, Captain Janeway. Okay, thank also you. Also red from Orange is the New Black. Okay, fine. Just letting everybody know. Some yep. of the sickies might not know names. It, it, she does some things that not only verbal, but the nonverbal things that really separate an average actress or actor from one who is a master of their craft. Oh, I really would agree at the end, especially after she leaves sick bay. Yep. And she keeps it together, but there's that brief moment where she can't. 
where yep. she realizes uh, I may have done the right action in my mind, but I still did. You know, I yep. made two steps forward, but I took one back and, and, and it we'll, was painful. We'll dig into that and rip some picks. I think it'll be a pick for sure from everybody. The other thing I like about this is it's Voyager as it's supposed to be. She can't kick this one upstairs to the brass. She yeah. has to make a choice between murdering Tuvix to resurrect her two friends. She has to make a choice between murdering one useful crew member to bring back two more useful crew members. Well, that's debatable. Neelix isn't more useful than Tuvix, but <laughs> murdering one crew member to bring back a very useful crew member and a second crew member on a ship that she can't just replace people. And she has to make this decision by herself. And she can't just say what she probably would. You know, she has to make this. She, uh, 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 before I blow it, I'm just going to move on. I, I, I choose it because of that. It shows you where Voyager can be at its best and what we should have got every week. And then it does what science fiction is supposed to do and really delves into, into issues of humanity. But it's not just with Janeway. Look at Kess. Mm. Poor Kess is in the middle of all of this as the other dilemma because she's Neelix's lover. And they, they bring that up time and time again. And this is also on display because it also has the things that make Voyager terrible. Um, or its biggest weaknesses. Bad science. <laughs> Symbiogen. Yeah, this is one of the better moments of science for Voyager. But symbiogenesis on this level, I mean, it, it doesn't much exist outside of like chloroplasts and mitochondria. To have it on this level, even amplified by the tricorder or the transporter beam... Eh, I don't know uh, the resolution of this. I don't know. It's still like trying to take the flour, eggs and uh, butter out of the cake. Just tagging and saying, well, this is what the eggs are. Well, not just to mention, well, we can tag the DNA of you just said earlier that the DNA is merged. Yep. You can't do that. That's not how DNA works. Yeah, it also merges DNA. Why did the uniforms merge? But I'm getting into rips. <laughs> you know what? It, well, and why did the flowers merge into the first uniform? Correct. But I, I, I uh, yeah. got a Brunfly vibe in this and was thinking, did Scott choose this because of Brunfly? No, <laughs> it, it's also got the other things that are wrong about Voyager. The the um, live pieces of living wood that are Harry Kim and Chakotay. Um, <laughs> at least you don't get any of Chakotay's... Um, Super general Indianness on display, <laughs> as if all Native American or Indigenous American cultures are the same, instead of unique separate things. Go tell the Shawnee and the Hopi that they share a culture. See how much they like hearing that. <laughs> um, but wait, 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 you're telling me that the Cherokee are a different tribe and have different customs than the Sioux? Who knew? Oh, shock. Who knew? Yeah. Um. Oh, more fun facts. Voyagers. Indigenous American consultant about Chakotay's culture? Oh no. Oh no. Was later exposed as a massive fraud who knew nothing about Native <laughs> American culture and was peddling lies and stereotypes for his whole life. Shocker. Wow. Couldn't was tell it, from what he was it advised. Was oh. it, who was it? Was it Iron Eyes Cody? Uh, he was probably dead by then. I'll have to take a look at who it was. I don't remember the name. I just know okay. that the guy was one of the most notorious fraudsters about being an indigenous American. Well, um, that, I asked because Iron Eyes Cody was real famous. He was that that Indian guy that cried when he saw garbage on the highway. Oh, no, I don't oh, think yeah. it was him. And that guy, he, he turned out to be an Italian immigrant. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, that's why I chose this. It's every. I think it's the right introduction to Voyager. You see the very good, and you see the bad on display. But it shows you what Voyager could have been if they remembered what the show was supposed to be week in and week out. Instead of trying to do season 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 of Star Trek The Next Generation. Which um, was one of its detriments. Uh, but at least this isn't the Q war where if you hold a Q musket, you can kill them. Because now you've taken everything out of the Q and thank you for just making them another advanced alien of the week. <laughs> Rage Master! Yep. How about our not one minute synopsis? Oh, this one might be a minute. So basically, uh, Tuvok and Neelix, is it? Yep. Uh, they are sent down to a planet to look for orchids that could be used as a food source. They get beamed up, but in the process, they get a fusion. Ha! And they become Tuvix. Two people in one. And most of the episode is Tuvix trying to make friends and ingratiate himself to the crew, which he does do. He proves himself to be very useful uh, he's got the culinary skills. In fact, his culinary skills improve and Tuvok's security skills also improve because he's got double the brain power, I guess. Uh, well, allegedly he does. I mean, he it tempers his it, logic it, it, it with the ability to follow a home. Yes. Well, so, well, also brings up problems, I would assume, because isn't that the benefit of him is that he is very logical so you now are losing some of that well but he's able to use a hunch and that hunch pans out in, well in the episode in the, that one time yes sure but i mean it it pans out the point is he's he's proving useful to the crew and making friends and this goes on for a few weeks because it's assumed that we can't separate them until the doctor finds barium and decides that Hey, we could use that to mark his DNA, send him through a medical transporter, which I didn't know existed, and use that to separate the two guys. It's also amazing how they suddenly remember about some old technology that exactly. shouldn't you we know which about they, ahead? Which they said, a primitive thing called x-rays. Ah, yeah. X-rays are not primitive. They not, just exist. I, I was going to yeah. say, primitive. If you had said x-ray machine, I might have said okay. <laughs> yeah, but x-rays are a thing. Well, That's like saying an ancient thing called gravity. Yes, well, gravity. Well, actually, it would be more accurate to go ancient thing called mass. Yeah. So, I, you know what? Fine. Whatever. Well, again, we're talking about Star Trek Voyager and it's I terrible found science. primitive particle called a proton. I suppose they were meaning machine and they forgot that word. But anyway, so they figured out. No, out, they didn't. And they decide, uh, well, we can separate them now. But then they have to go through the unfortunate discussion of, well, do we go through with it? Because Tuvix says there's one variable you haven't accounted for, the fact that I don't want to be separated. And Janeway has to make the horrible decision of actually separating them because she's saving two lives for one. And it ends on a very heartfelt note there. The end. Yep. All right. Let's do rips and picks first ooh, because ooh. I have some real I got moral questions to ask everybody here today before we get out of here on this. Thomas, let's kick us off. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to fix this machine. But before I test it on a living person... Don't worry, just go with it. Go with it. Dude, I repair machines for a living and I check to make sure and it and the stuff I repair has nothing to do with a person's life. Well, they did I, test it on two flowers. So No, which, no, no. 
the he was having an issue with the transporter, yeah. and then he went. Okay. Narrow the confinement beam. The, narrow, the angular oh, confinement the beam. And he didn't test it. Yeah. He didn't oh. test it, run a simulation or anything. He's just like, go with it. Okay. I'm sorry, what? Well, Ensign Harry Kim, ladies and gentlemen, who starts off the show as an ensign and ends the show seven years later as an ensign. <laughs> Despite being on a ship with limited ensigns. He'll see the criminal. Like, oh, Tom Paris promoted twice over him. He'll get promoted to lieutenant, demoted to ensign, and promoted back to lieutenant before Harry does. Which reminds me of Homer Simpson having an inanimate carbon rod given an award over him. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why he doesn't get promoted past Ensign. Uh, I, I I gave one of my picks out already. It's symbiogenesis between living beings and uh, allegedly DNA. Why does the inanimate dead uniform merge with the flowers? Unless you're going to try to tell me that Starfleet uniforms are made of a living fiber. <laughs> well, how about, well, who knows? I don't know Star Trek lore enough, but if we're on that subject, if we're merging DNA, DNA... Of two species that can actually merge. Let's just say two humans. It has enough problems when you merge that. Now you're telling me that you've now combined two fully grown species instantly and their DNA have combined and somehow their memories are intact and everything else is intact. And you've merged that and there isn't a single issue with two completely different species being merged not through slow time period. Instantly. Yeah, well, how do you, you keep gotta, the memory engrams and neural pathways in the brain intact to access those memories? You don't. Well, you know. You don't. For one simple <laughs> fact, you can't. Bad if I, science. If I had been sitting in the writer's room, I would assume that what happened was someone was thinking of the fly and said, hey, remember that movie, The Fly? Wouldn't it be cool if two characters got merged together in the teleporter, in the transporter? And. That had been maybe pitched before, but this time they actually went with it. And somebody asked the question and said, shut up, because otherwise we don't have an episode. Well, and that, you know, and that's the way it is. I mean, if it's kind of like in comics when some writers try to make some weird explanation how Spider-Man is still in his 20s or 30s, despite the fact he was a teenager in 1963. Um Comic fans are willing to just roll with it and make up their own See, goofy headcanon to make that work. When an author does it, it doesn't work. It looks yeah, pathetic. But this and, is so easy to fix. The point I'm getting at here is they really just said, don't go too much into it. We're, yeah, we got a cool but idea. But this is where I said you get the good and bad of Voyager. Because here's the thing. This is a rip on the writing room. This is really easy to fix. Somebody says, hey, you know, you can't have a brain merge that way and keep its memories intact. Okay, he doesn't have their memories. It's a brand new being. Yeah, yes. There you go. Yes. And you still can have this being learn who he's and, and get endeared to the crew and have the same. Yes. It changes yes. nothing. But then Kess doesn't have an arc because if he doesn't have memories of her, well, you then can, she's going to. Then you, she, he's, there's she's ways gonna, of fixing it. That's you, okay. You can have fractured memories. You could have 
intuitions. You could have feelings. He could just fall in love with Kess. Yes, there's oh, so there many you possibilities. Go. You could do that. Or, you could or, do that. Or you don't need the Kess angle, and you yes. just focus more on showing him building the relationship with the crew instead of showing, hey, flash forward two weeks. It's happened. Yeah. I marked this up like similitude well, t- in Enterprise. Well, a, t- well, a time compression you got to have in this episode. Yes. But, but if you... you- if you knock the Kess arc off, you can spend a little more time developing that. Right. Well, right. how about another rip on this whole scene and this disaster of a situation? Oh, this has never happened in the ever in the use of tele. Really, you're telling me that there are no accidents and no issues with this highly advanced technology, which literally destroys someone's atomic structure. And reassembles it, and there's never been an issue. Well, and never. That, that's that well. goes against Berman there because he eventually in the show Enterprise will have an episode where someone teleports up during a windstorm, and they get teleported up with sticks and other plants growing out of yep. them. And so it's like Berman. Remember when you said this had never happened? Yeah. Now, I'm presumed the only way that could be true. Is, is if, if every time Archer a ter- teleporter disaster happens, it gets blacklisted. Exactly. And it, it's if sensitive. Archer had decided to scrub the record of that from happening so that yeah. no one knew about it. I know. We I know what this. happened with everything that happened with Archer. Why you never hear about Archer in any of the episodes before, uh, you know, Enterprise came out. Because Starfleet, right around the start of the 23rd century, went, holy crap, we can't let this boob be our first captain into space. Let's just scrub him from the right. Nope, we're not talking about him. And when we get to Enterprise, there's one thing I'm going to rip on whether we do the episode or not. Okay. And, And that is that Archer takes his dog onto an alien planet. Oh, yeah. Which pees on their sacred tree. (laughs) We will not be doing that episode. And then when he comes back up and Porthos, the dog, has some kind of bacteria from the planet, Archer has the gall to blame the aliens because they were mad at him for the dog peeing on their sacred tree. Somehow Archer... Thank you for getting to my sure. next. Rip. And this is also That's by a the night way, in sick bay, and it's one of the worst, absolute worst episodes in the history of the Star Trek franchise. And one of the but. other problems with that too is that's the alien race where he ate in front of them, and the aliens find that offensive. He didn't yep. bother looking into it. So basically, Archer has a beef against these aliens because he screwed up the whole time. He was the one that couldn't be bothered to do the research. He's the one that took his dog down there. The dog peed on their stuff, and Archer's Car- Car- Archer's response was, they're the jerks. They're lucky. I, hey, I, hey, if something hey. happens to Portos, I'll be the one watering their sacred trees. Save something for when we get to the <laughs> yes, actual. Anyway, but no, we're, not, we're not reviewing yeah. Voyager at this point. <laughs> I just wanted to rip into that because that well, whole episode, I just wanted here's to dunk problem. him into it. Okay. I got one more problem. We're going to an alien planet. We're worried about food. I get that. But why? Because we have, we can just. Oh, yeah, we food. have replicators. We have replicators, so we don't have to Which, worry about food. But No, but the replicators, they're on rations. Fine. Remember? Fine. No, I don't know that. They're on, they're on rations. That's They're fun. all on replicator yes, rations because yes. they don't have enough power to use the replicator yes. free. That's why they have I, a mess hall. Until season three. I get that, and Before, I kind of understand that, but here's my problem. We're just going to an alien planet and going to assume that this food, this plant is edible. Well, that's what Neelix is there for. He's a scavenger and an expert on this 
quadrant of the galaxy. Okay, yeah. fine. And knows where to find vegetables that can be um, cooked. Yeah. So possibly that's... for him, we're now talking about a alien well, species to this quadrant. I'm just going to throw this one out there and everyone can just uh, digest this one on their own. Ooh, Neelix. Puns, puns. N- no. <laughs> Neelix is the personification of the Dunning-Kruger effect. All right, moving on. <laughs> moving okay. on. Because I just wanted to know how come the replicators don't work? Why do they have a chef? Yeah, they, they, they don't have enough sense power. In, it made sense in Enterprise. Yep, but they don't have enough power. Okay. Although the holodecks have their own separate power system which can run all the time because it's not compatible with the rest of the ship. Oh, okay. Because it's alien technology, remember? Mm-hmm. Which power is totally not able yep. to be universally Just used. Just forget that when they Borgify the ship for Scorpion or for Species 8472. Yeah, Scorpion. Anyway, uh, moving on. Also, again, power is universal, Moans! My, my other... <sighs> My other rip about the the transporter is um, it remembered to have a sense of artistic vision and style when it recreated <laughs> the uniform with geometric patterns. Why didn't he have pant sleeves? Why did it have any order? Why weren't his sleeves pants? Why weren't his why weren't there a leg of pants over his? Why head? did why didn't they? Why, well, why did they also did he come out in exact... such a nice looking shape? Why, why did, did his both... hair? Why was his hair combed? <laughs> yeah. Why did he have? Why when it separated them, did they both have equal uniforms? Yeah, <laughs> uh, they should have half a uniform. Anyway, bad Voyager science. All right, picks, picks. Kate Mulgrew's acting. When she's talking with Kess, she actually a good em- emotes. Yeah, a good actress would tell that story the way she did with pauses and use her voice. But a very good actress adds, she's kind of absentmindedly fidgeting with her neck while she's having that conversation about Mark to show you that this is deeper, and you know this is her real pain, and it's even it makes her nervous and anxious, even as the captain and the leader and the mentor. To share this. It shows her discomfort while she's leading Kess. Um, and, and you watch those two opposite of each other. Jennifer Lean, who's not a horrible actress, but was out of work after 2002 and never went back to it. And has her own reasons, but her career wasn't hopping before then. And Kate Mulgrew, who was on this show and seven seasons on Orange is the New Black. And you watch the difference. Kess is just smiling there like an, like an idiot. <laughs> And, and letting all of her words do the acting. And Kate Mulgrew is going through a full tour de force of voice inflections, facial expressions, eyes, mannerisms, body language. And she nails it. Then you watch at the end. At the end, she, first off, watch her horror when she's, when Kess tells her that Tuvix asked her to speak on his behalf. And her concern there is motherly. It's switched to motherly. And, and she pulls it off with her eyes and her body language more than anything. But then you watch her stroll onto the bridge. Mr. Tuvix, I need you to come with me. And she's trying to be polite but firm. And then you watch her change into the military commander. And she does it in a heartbeat. She steals her facial expression. She steals her body language. Calls for security. Puts the command bite into her voice. And from that point on, she has shut off her emotions as pure as a cyborg. You watch her go down to uh, no words in the turbo lift into engineering. The doctor says, I cannot do this. I can. I am a doctor. I can do no harm. Okay, please stand aside. 
No emotion, no equivocation, no hesitation, no rethinking that maybe she's wrong here because she knows she's morally wrong. And she she then says, I assume this is the radioactive, not barium, barium. Please sit in this bio bed. Injects him. Tar- and all business like targeting, targeting. And you can see she's still in command. She's still the warrior. But you can see it's eating at her. But she holds it together because she has to. And then as Mark, as you said, she walks out of there and you see her for first couple steps holding together the stern commander. And then you see that she realizes what she did. Well, and, you know, the interesting thing here is, and this is my pick. She knows she made the lesser of two evils here. She was going to commit an evil regardless. And she knew it. But. She brought up, I'm saving two lives who incidentally were here first. And more importantly, as uh, Kess pointed out, I want my guy back. Well, it would it would literally be if you took I um, Anya, my my wife and my ex, my ex fiance and put them together. Uh. I would want my wife back. Even even if the current incarnation was great, I would still it kind of reminds me of a Twilight Zone episode. This is really very Hope Anya big, doesn't listen to this now. I said my wife. That's <laughs> I just said even if if uh, she, aside from the fact she would say this is a stupid point, she would agree with me. But then she would finish with you better want me back. Um but <clears throat> I got a Twilight Zone vibe out of this episode. This was very much a Twilight Zone episode because it reminds me of an episode where an elderly couple, I forget the name of it, but an elderly couple finds there's a way for them to have their consciousnesses put into a younger body. And they go to do that and they find out they only have enough money for one person to do the take the plunge. So they decide the husband will do it and work to get the money so she can join him. So he gets his himself put in a new younger body and he's thrilled to bits. He's jumping around. He's like, look at me. I can do all this again. And his wife looks at him and says, you're not the man I married. And so he decides to go back and um, go back in his old body yeah. because this isn't the person I married. And the, there was another episode or an astronaut was going into space for a long-term mission and uh, he was going to be frozen and he was going to be cryogenically frozen and then return. But he fell in love with a woman and on the way he, he realized by the time he came back, she'd be old. So he decided halfway through the mission to cut, he's reprogrammed the cryogen tube to let him out after like a month so that he'd age with her when he came back. But then he found out she climbed into a cryo tube while he was gone, thinking mm. that he would be young. And so, But they still decided to stay together because they were the same person, even if it was just going to be limited time. And so Kess was essentially saying, yeah, this guy's nice and all, but he's not who I want. Well, uh, not just that, but so, you have to take that, that and count that she's a commanding officer of the ship. Right, and well, she can't replace him. Well, not just forget about replacing your cook. Your mm-hmm. cook, and eh, whatever it's supposed yeah, to be your scavenger. But I mean Tuvok. 
She can't replace well, him. Well, yes, because again, when I said earlier where, oh yeah, he followed a hunch. I don't care if he followed a hunch once. The reason why he's your, com- your one of your top, you know, commanders and your head of security is because he's a very logical Vulcan. And now you've well, literally removed part of what made him what you want him to be. So you've lost your purpose because now he's all and you hear her talking about oh yeah he would be right now be talking about so you've now lost a very key point person in your crew right and she says i don't know what they're saying because they're not here and so they couldn't she couldn't say you know he could say oh i want to live okay well what do those two say well they you know they're, they're in my head too yeah but they're not here to yeah. defend themselves. So, but not, you bring up the point about the hunch. That's an interesting point I hadn't thought of. And that is that he's an unknown element. Absolutely. Yeah, he's proven himself useful over what the past several weeks, but Tuvok on the other hand has proven himself over time. So yeah, these last few weeks, Tuvik has proven himself useful, but see how he wigged out when he knew what was going to happen? What's to say he didn't do that on another situation, whereas Tuvok would not. So you kind of have to go with your gut and go with what you know in that case. And that is, mm-hmm. I know I can trust Tuvok. So what? I think we've... Well, I mean, just take an example. What would have happened if Tuvok was told to do something by his commanding officer? Mm-hmm. He would have just... The logical response right. is yes. Unless it was against Starfleet or immoral or something right. like that. Yeah. But he's going to... The logic says this is he's just going to go with it. He's not. And I mean, you're hearing that. Oh, yeah. Tuvox is doing his, you know, Tuvac or whatever. Tuvix. Tuvix. Thank you. Tuvix is doing his job, but he's also adding a bunch of extra stuff and question and talking. It's like this is not what your guy normally does. He doesn't normally do this. He normally just does his job very efficiently. And that's it. And the unknown elements. So. Oh, you're absolutely now, right. He's very unknown because yeah. you you don't know how he's going to respond in any situation. I think we've moved very well into some of the moral questions I don't want to ask. So here's yeah. the first moral question that I want to put out to panel discussion. Uh-oh. <clears throat> These are always good. Tuvix looks at Janeway and says, are you saying this is your decision? And she responds with, it is my decision because I'm the captain of this ship. Who's right here? Is this Tuvix's decision because it's his life, or is it Janeway's decision because someone has to consider and speak for the other two lives lost? And let me preface it one more way, and we'll break it open for discussion. Yeah, no one's there to speak for Tuvok and Neelix because they're dead. Okay. They are dead. This is a living new being. Janeway, is Janeway right to say it's her decision? What they do with Tuvix. Well, right now, we are not discussing the morals of it in anything other than who has the choice here. And I would say the captain of the ship currently has the choice because, again, I will say this a million times. Starfleet is not a scientific or exploration organization. It is a military organization, which means right now in this situation... The commanding officer takes sole responsibility. Yep. So in this situation, on a military vessel, away from any other situation, 
the captain has absolute authority. Absolute. Mm-hmm. So in this situation, military, captain has to take do a choice that's difficult. They get to make the best decision for the most people that it is possible. So right now, she is deciding and has the sole right to decide. Rage? I would agree. It kind of reminds me of a scene from the movie Master and Commander where uh, it's actually a very good movie. It's about a British naval ship hunting down a French ship during the Napoleonic Wars. And there's a scene where a drunk sailor bumps deliberately side checks an officer and doesn't salute. And he has the guy, you know, he order the captain sees it, orders the master at arms to clap him in irons and makes an example out of him. And the doctor tries to stick up for him. And he says, I have room for one rebel on this ship. This is what the captain says. I have one room for I have room for one rebel on this ship. And if you've come here to talk mutiny, you've come to the wrong shop. And that's what this is. Tuvok. So in other words, she has the final say. Okay. Because as they have evidenced. Now, I know, Scott, you're going to disagree, which is their devil's advocate. This isn't devil's advocate. But this time, though. But. They have made it clear, and they literally use the word resurrect. They can resurrect two people who are on that ship, who do have families and relationships, who are established. Yep. Whereas Tuvix is not. Yep. And so the captain has the final say on this because she's not just considering herself. She's considering every person on the ship she's considering every relationship she's considering every job those two do she's considering everyone back home because like she says with her uh i guess husband mark she has to still operate on the notion that we could make it back okay so she can so therefore she asked she would have to be the one that went to uh tuvok's family and said Hey, um, we could have brought your husband back. It was well within our power, but I didn't do it because this guy who I knew for two weeks cried about it. And that really is not something. There are far more ramifications to keeping him around than not. Yeah. So she had much more weight to consider in that. So it was definitely her call. So without... Discussing whether I agree with Janeway's decision or not, and whether it was the morally correct decision or not, which will be later questions. I firmly disagree that this is in any way, shape, or form Captain Janeway's decision. She is the captain of the ship. And as the captain of the ship, she can order crewmen to go on risky missions. She can order Belana Torres into the warp core to fix something that will irradiate her to death because that's her duty, that's her job, and it has to be done to save the ship. This is not one of those situations. Tuvix is a living being who has fulfilled responsibilities and roles on this ship at this point, made friends, made interactions, and has committed no crime. She is not ordering him on a risky mission. She is not ordering him to fulfill some part of his duty which may kill him. She is taking the decision of life and death 
into her own hands. She is playing God. She is deciding that by sacrificing this currently living being, that there is a chance that she can bring back two beings that are no longer living in the option and decides with the greatest good for the greatest number argument that she should do it. But she also decides that this is her decision. She decides that it is her right as captain of the ship to tell Tuvix that he should kill himself so that others can live. And she doesn't just suggest it. She orders him to kill himself so that two others can live. I have a problem, even in the military, and I think on today's military, if a captain of a ship at Ocean said, well, I've got two crew members who need full blood transfusions, and you're the only one with their blood type, so we're going to take all the blood from you, even though it will kill you because I can save them, I think that captain would end up being court-martialed for murder at the end of it. And I don't see what Janeway did here as any different. She has two crewmen who have died in a horrible transporter accident. The result of that accident has given her one crewman. She has decided that she can reverse that and take this being out of existence and bring back her two friends. I don't think that's her decision. And I have a problem with any government that says that officials and officers of the state can order you to kill yourself for the greater good of society. Well, well I, I understand where you're coming from, but I think you're going to moles, though. Right, I don't think it's her decision. Well, I don't think she has the right to make that decision in any way, shape, or form. Well, I, I think she does. And again, because I think, again, this is a military. Someone de- deserts their post. They, you know, desert. Yeah. That, in most cases, that you get thrown in jail. But technically speaking, a commander does have the authority. They can execute you for the, yeah. Yes. Now, but Tuvix hasn't done that. Well, here's my point, though. And this is why I say that. You're right, he didn't commit a crime. But the commanding officer has the right to do that, to kill someone. Do they have the right to kill someone, Did, to make no, an example if they haven't no, committed no, no, a crime? Let, let me finish. Can, can, the, the can commanding just walk up to someone and shoot him in the head to make an example that he's a crazy guy? Well, well again, you, you're right now, you're, you're putting some moles in here. And this is why I'm saying... When does it become her decision as the commanding officer to order one of her crew members to kill themselves for the greater good of the rest of the crew? Well, this is right there. You're, you're going into the greater good and you're putting some morals in here. And this well, is I think I have to to ask to well, answer if it's her decision, not if her decision was morally right or wrong. But did she even have the right to make the decision? Uh, Tufix is living. Why isn't it his choice in because, his life? Because a commanding officer has authority over the lives of anyone. under. Now, if they cause someone to die under their command there should be investigations now and, and this, you think so this, wait this wait you think I, that a captain of a u.s navy ship can order one of his crew members to kill themselves so that two other crew members can live you think that so in a navy ship where you need some rare blood type and i don't know which one's the rare one but oh, you've got two crewmen oh, who need what? type o blood and they need a full transfusion you have one crewman with type o blood and to get all the blood you need for those two crewmen you have to kill the crewman with the type o blood who's currently healthy and living in front of you can a captain on a u.s navy boat legally order that crewman to yes give all of no, no, no that no, is no, not no. a legal order the, the problem is again my point is that can't be a legal order y- Dude, you have to understand how much authority 
commanding officer has, and this is why. Yeah, but they can't walk up to you and say, kill yourself so that I can save this guy. They can tell you to go into that burning engine room and put the fire out. I, they but can doesn't te- that save people? Yes, exactly. I command you, especially, let's go in a submarine. Great case. I'm locking these guys in a bulkhead. Lock that door. You're fl- you're yeah, co- that's a disaster. A milita- what uh, military uh, disaster has started. But what no, 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 the rest no. Of the you, ship you, exists you, right now. Right now, you again. You're going on into malls. Right now, you're going. No, I'm going at, into the right, where, where do they have the right to make that actually, decision? Actually, no. Scott, you, Scott, are saying it's causing a life to fail. It's causing a life to die. Whereas he's saying. Well, it's no different than a captain sealing a bulkhead in so that the rest of the crew doesn't die. You but are killing. No, well, it's that, not that because you has- are killing someone to save someone else. Yes, but the only an- difference is the situation. There's an imminent disaster brewing. There's time, no imminent disaster brewing right out. now. This is why they're okay. already dead. Here's, this is why, but it's the same why thing. I'm it's saying just a different that, that situation. They have the authority. I'm not saying that this is right or wrong. I'm saying they have the authority, and the point is again. If they use that authority, should there be investigations? Should that person possibly lose command? Should that person possibly be put to death themselves? Yes. Okay. So I'm saying they have the authority to do crazy, absolute insane things. Okay. Should there be ramifications from them using that authority? Yes. Let's put a pin in this one because we're not going to, we're not going to agree. Because Rage has a question. Okay, go ahead, Rage. So Scott... Is it a crime at any level, legal, moral, whatever you want to call it, if you know that your existence is causing two other people to be dead and remain dead and you decide, screw them, is that a crime? No. I have a right to continue living. I don't have to kill myself so other people can live. Even though the only reason you're alive is because of them. And if I kill myself, they come back to life. Yeah, I don't think you can make that a crime, but that's that's the dilemma we're talking about. That's why this is a great episode. I would disagree with you. Can we agree that Captain Janeway should at least go through a court martial when she gets back to the Alpha Quadrant? Yes, I would say yes, because again, I again, military wise, she has the authority, but there should be absolute consequences. And this is a definite court martial. I don't know. know. And should at least at bare minimum, I don't bare minimum be looked at. By a massive court, court and looked into the morality of it and figured out if she should even be put up for charges. I don't think she but would yes. be punished for it. Investigated. Also they'd have demoted. to consider the ramifications yeah. of, hi, I could have saved Sarah and brought her back with your kid, but... There was another person yeah. that got turned into her. So screw you, Scott. So I'm not again, though, I'm not saying Janeway made the wrong decision. I just said my opinion on it is she made a decision she didn't have the authority to make. I'm in the minority here. Thomas and Mark believe that that Janeway did have the authority to make that decision. And yeah, lawfully especially given it. the circumstances. And it's OK that we don't was. agree on that because that's what makes it a great episode. If it was easy to agree. It wouldn't be a great episode. Well, Next question. Now I think I'm going to disagree with Mark on this question, but go ahead. Is this a murder? Yes. Is it a murder? Is Captain Janeway murdering Tuvix? 
Uh, okay. yeah, is it an execution? Uh, is it an execution? Time, okay, yes. Uh, I was about to go. I I don't know if murder is correct because you're right. You're right. I yeah. put some I put some malice into she's, murder as malice. She yes. is it an execution? She is killing him. Is, is uh, it killing? I yes. would it call it an execution. No. Would I call it murder? No. But is she killing him? Yeah. Yes. There was definitely. She, she is. is definitely killing someone. That's not she's right. killing That's, a. She knows it. Living. Yep. Person. She yeah. okay. knows it. We're clear on this one. Okay. She, this question had to be asked. It. Okay. That this question had to be asked. That's the third question I had. Is this an execution? She knows Absolutely, it. she doesn't it's an execution. Feel, she doesn't feel good nope. about it. No. There's a living, breathing person in front of you, <laughs> you and, and she, he is being executed. That last and he no longer exists. Emotive moment lets you know yep. that she wasn't yes. comfortable. She felt confident in making the decision yep. that even I agree with, but she's not comfortable with the fact that she did it. Now, let's move on to the last big question. And I think I know where everyone comes out on this already, but let's ask it and why. Oh, I think I will surprise you, but go ahead. Did she make... Okay, so here, I'm going to... Two ways. Did she make the right decision? Three ways. Did she make the right decision? Did she make the moral decision? And would she have made the same decision if she was in the Alpha Quadrant? Ooh, let me go first. Oh. First one. Did she make the right decision? This, I think, could be huge debate. I think based solely on situation, possibly yes. On totally just doing it, you, this is the value of your coup. You get two versus one. Purely value-based. Yes. Possibly. Moral-wise, absolutely not. You've killed someone. You killed a sentient being. Morally, this is, I think, not even questionable. This is pure, terrible. This is why I say there should be consequences for this. She should be put in front of court-martial and probably found guilty of murder. Now, could there be extenuating circumstances that she doesn't lose command or something? Sure. Possibly, if the court decides. I don't know the legal system in the Starfleet. You get a nice resort vacation in a Starfleet um, prison resort. <laughs> but Four stars. I don't know. Beds. Again, I don't know what kind of laws are written on the books there. So I don't know if there's a re- way around that. But only think- one death penalty on the books in Starfleet, and that's visiting that planet in the cage. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I think there should be absolute consequences to this because I think morally this is terrible. And I mean, this person is a living Talos, sentient, by the way, Talos, living sentient being, and they are alive. You've killed them. They are no longer in existence. Now you could debate. Yes, you raised two people from the dead, but people die. Things happen. They're dead. Move on. Now, if this is in the Alpha Quadrant, absolutely not. She's kicking this up this chain of command. Who knows how high this is going up to her, to the Admiral, probably up to a board somewhere on Earth or Federation Council. Federation Council. This is going to get debated for probably a century or half. By the time they figure out what to do, he, the two Vicks or whatever is going to be dead from old age. By the time they figure out if they can or can't separate them. But no, she's not doing this instantly. She's probably kicking it up the uh, chain of command. Who knows how high? And this might go into civilian hands at that point. But if if the ultimate yeah. decision still rested with her in the Alpha Quadrant, does she do it? I don't think so. And this is why I think, because again, 
when we speak on morals and limited situational situation now changes. If you're in the alpha quadrant, you now have almost limitless resources. You have the possibility of possibly getting the engrams out of the teleporter, doing some crazy, stupid sci-fi Star Trek bad science and bringing those two back and leaving this new species you know, alive too. That's out there as a possibility and you could just go, no, we can figure a different way out. In this limited situation where you're low on power, low on resources, low on manpower, years away from home, trying to make it under threat constantly, it's a different situation. So I think she can not make that decision in the Alpha Quarter. Rage Master. All right. What was the first question? Did she make the right decision? Well, I've already said yes to that. Um, and I've already explained why. What's the second question? Is it the moral decision <clears throat> to make? Well, depends which set of morals you've chosen to go with. Um, are, one could argue that just from a Judeo-Christian value, she did. On the verse, greater man, that there's no greater man is not the wait. No greater man than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. Yes, but there's also the and, thing being uh, that if the person does not want to lay down their life, that you're that's killing them. It's irrelevant what it, yep. whether you want to do it or not. If you if you're if you are following a biblical perspective, it's not about what you don't want to do. It's about what God's moral is. And if God said this is the greater thing, it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. Well, again, you have to. I think by virtue of that, you could say, hey, Jesus, you're not the only way to heaven. Well, 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 why not then? I prefer Buddha in this case. Exactly. In which case you're not following Judeo-Christian I I just think that's a dangerous line of thinking because then you could go down – well, uh, according to the, some scientific paper here, humanity's killing the planet and going. So we're now going to execute, get to the Thanos theory, right? We're going to execute half the planet and no, its population because, because it solves your global warming problem. No, because, the other half, and they're going to live. And the, no, because I now you're stretching it. Now you're taking it in a dumb direction. Well, that's, that's not that's the problem this, with morals. Morals is you always have to take your moral framework and stretch it to the absolute absurd measure. To see where it lies. No, I'm well, not doing you that. Don't. Right That's here where philosophy fails. No, you don't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so no, you don't. Practical, it's, if well, you've decided to do that, once you've decided to start from a Judeo-Christian perspective, once you've decided to just start playing stretchy, choosy, picky, then you're not following Judeo-Christianity anymore. You're cha- you're following Judeo-Christian mixed in with whatever I feel. Yeah, like there, there is no stretchy, choosy when you're dealing with religion either, because the supreme being of the universe has given you exactly the moral framework. You're not that allowed you to say, follow. "Hey, God, that's a good idea." idea unless i decide to add a little bit of this and a little well, bit of that again so the verse you chose you, yeah. to say there though was if a person lays down their life right yeah. now we're talking about someone choosing not to lay down their life and you're now killing them that yeah. doesn't make so, the moral okay. principle look, 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 not this is true this is rage master's time to say why he thinks exactly what he thinks. My so bad. that sorry, doesn't sorry, go ahead. make the moral principle not true the whole concept is you don't have to agree with it for it to be not the standard rage master everybody the rage master a rare appearance so, and i didn't bring him out this time i'm bringing <laughs> up a point that if you're choosing this as your standard so I believe then it doesn't know. matter if someone agrees with it or not. Oh, 
Rage Master Gold. Oh. But okay. Yay. Otherwise, we're just getting into some hyper contractual. Otherwise, I could be Jordan Peterson and jerk off to my own words for the next hour without actually giving an answer. You're going, you're going Chris Nolan on this. Full Chris Nolan. So there you go. At any rate. Anyway. Uh, third question. So. If it's is her it, No, I'm not done yet. <laughs> because I got derailed by let's talk talk verbosely about not actually get anywhere. Please help. So. Where am I getting with this? I'm blinking seven times. If you put down to the idea that sacrifice is the greater virtue, then she did do the moral thing, even if he didn't agree with it. Okay. So, third point, would she have done it without? Would, if she in had, the Alpha if she, Quadrant. Had she, had she been able to contact Starfleet, no, 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 not even able to contact. She's back home in the Alpha Quadrant, not stranded 70,000. Oh, she wouldn't home. have done this. I agree with Thomas 100%. She would have kicked even this if off. it was her, even if it was her decision to make, oh, she I'm had still, to make the final 158% decision. 158% agree with Thomas. She would have kicked this up if she couldn't kick it up. Would she have done the same thing? What did you say, Thomas? I was still probably still gonna agree with you on this. Uh, I, I said no because. In the Alpha Quadrant, she would have had much more access to almost infinite resources. Yeah, I'm with him on that. Yep. Totally with him. All right. So here we go. Did Janeway make the right decision? Yes. This is a ship that stranded 70,000 light years from home. It has a limited number of crew. It cannot replace that crew. Tuvok is her second officer and the guy who is both her tactical officer and her chief of security and the smartest guy in the ship. She needs him. He is also her personal conscience, her moral advisor, and the person she goes to far more than Chakotay when she needs advice. To get this ship back home, she needs Tuvok. She also needs Neelix. As crazy as this sounds, we're going to go on the fact that the show wants you to believe that Neelix is useful, and she needs Neelix. There's also Kess to consider. There is Tuvok's wife to consider, Tuvok's family to consider. She makes the right decision. The only decision that you can make once she decides that it is her decision in this situation, she saves, she saves, she brings back Tuvok and Neelix and it is what is right. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Okay. Even though he doesn't want to make it, it is a stain on her soul that she will never recover from until the next week when we pretend this never happened. But, um, uh, it is a stain on her soul that will haunt her till the day she dies and gets sucked into a Borg cube and assimilated into the Borg queen in a terrible book. But, um, and then resurrected by Q's son. That's anyway. Book. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Borg cube in a book in the final Borg invasion doesn't assimilate. It absorbs you and it sucks her into the wall, assimilates, absorbs her and makes her the new queen. She destroys Pluto, almost destroys Earth, gets killed. And then at the moment of her death, Q's son takes her away. And brings her back to her full human self, and then they reinstate her as an adult. Was that written by a 10-year-old? No, it was actually written by one of the better Star Trek writers, Peter David, in one of his worst moments. Who decided to go full Marvel on him. Yes, it was okay. it was horrible. All right, so... Uh, the Borg Cube eats Pluto. That. But anyway... Wow, um, that, that he went full well, Marvel. Well, we, it's not a planet anyway, so big yeah, deal. But, uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, <laughs> she makes the only decision she can make. Oh, she makes the only, good. the right decision for her crew and for every other life on there and the family of those two people. Is it the moral decision? No. I cannot reconcile this to any concept of morality that I know because here is someone ordering a living, breathing life form. 
that is sapient and sentient with emotions that loves, that feels, that has committed no crime. And she is ordering that person to die to bring back two other lives that are already gone. She's She is bringing back the people that she has a deeper relationship with, that she feels she needs more. But I cannot say that this is a moral action. And sometimes the right action is not the moral action. And I feel that this is one of those things that it is an immoral action that she had to take as a commander. And sometimes you don't want to be a president or a commander because you have to do things that will destroy your soul and your psyche and your sense of self-worth. Because it is the decision that had to be made that no one else could make. Yeah, sometimes you have, to, on you. you have to tell a soldier yep. to go charge that machine gun nest yep. and they're probably going to die, but you yep. need them that machine gun nest done. But in this case, is it moral? No. Because there's no immediate danger. There's no there's no um, immediate other lives at risk. You are talking about a hypothetical advantage versus a hypothetical risk. And you are deciding to kill someone because hypothetically it will bring these two people back, which gives us better odds of getting home. Immoral. Does she make this decision in the Alpha Quadrant, even if it's her authority to make? Well, one, if it's in the Alpha Quadrant, it never happens. The Federation would not order someone to death to bring back the two people who died to create him. Second, in my opinion, I could not see, and if I watched a Star Trek episode where that happened from the Federation Council, I would have a problem with it um, tremendously. Does she make that decision in the Alpha Quadrant? No. She lets Tuvix live in the Alpha Quadrant. And this is why I like this episode. This is why I say that this is what Voyager was supposed to be every week. Because you're not supposed to be able to cling to your perfect morality. You're not supposed to find the easy way out that lets you feel good about yourself every week at the end. You may try to, but this is one of those cases where to get her crew home, to be the leader she's supposed to be, she has to destroy a piece of herself and commit something that is immoral, pay that price, reconcile it to herself, and move on. But it's also why Voyager fails, because that doesn't happen. She has that moment, she walks away, you see it, and next week, this didn't happen. Had it, it sh- what would have made it a better show is if you see the character of Catherine Janeway fundamentally changed. Because she had to do this. If you see Chakotay change, if you see Tom Paris or Chakotay questioning if they should have stood up to her, if you see people awkward around Tuvok and Neelix forever, if you see Kess driven mad because she advocated to kill Tuvix to bring back Neelix and call that a selfish action. But you're right. You didn't have this happen. It and never it happens. Part of the episode. It never happens because every time it's a reset great, button. Yep. But this could have made the show so much. This is the stuff. That you were supposed to see week in and week out on Voyager. And you were slowly supposed to see them maybe get more comfortable with acting outside of the perfect Starfleet principles. But you don't see it. And you do not see it. And it's it's a drawback to what happens here. But this is why this is a perfect episode of Voyager in a microcosm. Because it shows you where the show had potential to be something phenomenal in the annals of science fiction. Week in and week out. And then you see where it chose to only run with that so far because it was easier to be the continuation of Star Trek The Next Generation. I, You know, I still give this chops. One thing that was occurring to me as I was watching this episode, I harp on this a lot and I want to do it again. This was about a 45, 46 minute episode. 
And at no point in this episode did I feel it draining, lengthy, or boring. So if I watched, and I know I would never do this, but let's say I watched Batwoman. No, not going to happen. So let, let me pick a show that I have watched then. Um, uh, the Flash, when I tried to watch the CW Flash. One of the things that bugs me about that, that's in, that's indicative of modern lengthy writing, is that there is a lot of um, long drawn out filler. You know what I mean? Long, overly complicated, emotional feeling filler. That if you that doesn't enhance the episode at all, if you removed it and made the episode 20, 25 minutes, it would be phenomenally better. That wasn't the case with this episode. Not the case at all. No point did I feel like, well, they could easily get rid of this scene or this was obvious filler. I needed to see those scenes where Kess was talking to Tuvik and trying to figure out, could I live with this? You even need to see Harry Kim playing the clarinet because you're showing you life is going back to normal. Yeah, you yeah. need to see these parts. But and the interesting part about that, it doesn't take long. Nope. It's not like it's a three minute drawn out, whereas what they would do now. And not only that, it shows. So the Federation is supposed to be humanity far more mature, which is a big drawback to Kurtzman Trek, which shows the Federation as a bunch of Twitter teenagers. Yeah. I mean, they're making comments in dialogue that is very period specific, very period specific, meaning it's not going to age well at all that 10, 15 years from now, you're going to watch it and cringe when you realize they're using Twitter speech. Star Trek Picard is all about Brexit. Populism. And income inequality. And it's going to be using vocabulary that's like, wow, that was cool on in Tumblr 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, well, well, there's a reason why Shakespeare is still Shakespeare. Exactly. Star Trek Picard exactly. will not. Right. Star Trek Picard will not age well because it came out. It, it is a commentary on rampant populism, fear of the other, fear of what is different <clears throat> and authoritarianism, which is supplanting so- the better angels of democracy. And the thing is. Which is so so clearly about Brexit and Trump and income inequality and and super rich corporations and and, and the 1%, not corporations, but it's so much about Brexit and all that populism and the 1% versus the 99% that it won't age well. And and that's the bizarre part. That's the bizarre thing. It's also coming at that from a very political viewpoint. So. I mean, Roddenberry's political, but that's the bizarre part. Patrick Stewart basically said this is a commentary on Brexit. Right. But Roddenberry was political and he obviously had a Cold War vibe in his writing. But it still transcends because you can always slot something else in for the Klingon Empire. You can always do that. Well, the Cold War was a 30 year formative event that is going to be relevant 100 years from now. Right. So the Brexit is going to be forgotten in 20. Basically. Yeah. In 20 to 50 years, most people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that thing that that's what it's going to come down to. And so, um, yeah, and 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 that's the problem. why, Why, when you use inflammatory language or you connect things that you shouldn't be connecting and you it's like no forget that 
Just speak what you want to say. Say it in plain English. Star Trek, right? Like Next Generation, I did the Defector as my fourth favorite episode. Mm -hmm. That episode will stand the test of time three hundred years from now because it will be about a lifetime career soldier, career admiral, uh, you know, high-ranking officer defecting from his people because he doesn't want to see his daughter put through the 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 horrors of another war and Which struggling with the ability message. and and not to see himself as a traitor it's and timeless. That's a timeless message yes. so getting to my other point though is that this is a federation what we saw in today's episode matured so even when tuvix wigs out he eventually gives up when he realizes no one's defending me and I'm being held. And so, security, security, security eased up immediately too and didn't hit him in the back of the head. Right. So <laughs> once he basically held up his hands like, okay, I'm giving up, they gave up. They were they they stayed there. Yep. They were ready, but it wasn't like you just said, they just didn't pull out a cattle prod and tase him. But and this is and when uh Janeway had to order him. She was stern. And when it didn't work, she just said security to the bridge. Yep. Instead of emotional outburst, which is what Kurtzman trick is again. All it is, is trying to get the feels. And this is, this was far more effective because it gives you all the feels. It's the same thing. You feel bad for the the same thing. Like with the difference between the First Order in Star Wars and the Empire. You know why the Empire's scarier? Because they're cold and calculated. Yep. When Tarkin looks at me and just says, Ah, there you go, Lord Vader. I told you she could be reasoned with. Continue the operation. Yep. You may fire when ready. That's scarier than Kylo Ren throwing a hissy fit and cutting up a computer oh. console. You also got the worst line, in my opinion, in the history of Star Wars. What? I'm the spy! <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. I mean, come on. Let's so, break this. But the, for that reason, I thought this is a very good up. Ep- another thing that I thought gave it bonus points for me. Let's rate this one. Um, <clears throat> how many hybrid Franken orchids do we want to give it out of ten? Thomas. Ooh boy, throw me under the bus first. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to give it. Uh, no one should be thrown under the bus by your ranking. You knew all week you had to. Rank it. <laughs> Yes, I know all week. It's the one thing you should be prepared to answer along with rips. Well, unfortunately, sometimes through our conversations, rankings change. That's true. And and I think that it's gone up a couple. I agree with you. Oh. Because I had this maybe at a seven before, and I think it's gone up to maybe an eight. Because through our conversation discussing this, there's a lot more to it than I originally thought. When I first watched, rewatched this, because again, I watched all the Star Treks a long time ago, so I kind of faintly remembered this. Rewatching this, I'm like, eh, I get why you chose it, but what's here? What's really here? Now, again, through us discussing it, I'm like, okay, there's quite a bit here. There's quite a bit to think about. There's a lot to discuss. I think this is, you know, got more to it. So I think I'm going to even give it an eight. Rage. Yeah, I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna give it an eight as well. It is a great piece of trek. It presents us with that moral dilemma. Uh, and what's interesting too is that it's not heavily reliant on action. 
Uh, this is very much like I said, it gave it a measure of a man kind of vibe that <clears throat> this is a lot of just discussion. And yeah, it loses points because the situation is ridiculous and infeasible, inconceivable. But if we suspend that disbelief and just allow it to happen, we see the real purpose of what this episode was about. Yep. And even though I completely agree with Janeway, I believe as captain, she has this call, especially given the circumstances. And she made the right call. Uh, did she still kill someone? Yes. Yeah. I mean, of course she did. And uh, I agree with Thomas that this is no different than the captain sealing the bulkhead, because if I don't, the whole crew is going to die or, you know, these other three guys are going to die. So uh, seal the bulkhead. Or if you remember the movie K-19, where the captain was sending guys into the rate, the nuclear reactor knowing full well they're going to die by fixing the reactor but but they die so that the rest of us can live i don't see the difference even though just because it's not a disaster and just because you don't have the sheer numbers doesn't mean the situation doesn't mean it's not the same scenario it's just a different situation that's all numbers are different and situation is different that's it so it's an 8 at the risk of reopening all of this i just one quick question and maybe a quick answer the nuclear reactor is about to overload and the ship is going to go down and the captain has the right to order people in person after person, knowing they're going to die to save the rest of the ship. Yep. Does the captain have the right to order them into the nuclear reactor if it's functioning fine and there's no right or no danger that the ship is about to explode? But I just told you this situation isn't the same because two people are dead and they know it because they can resurrect them. Meaning yeah. by letting him live, these people stay dead. That's the wrinkle. That's the wrinkle that changes if, all if of this. If it were the different, the if it if it had been the situation where they said, well, there's a 10% chance of success yep. only, I would have said, oh, well, then you don't do it. I, I, I but see because where you guys they are said, from. Because they said we can resurrect them, it's going to work. Oh, well, now it's a different scenario altogether. Yep. I see where you guys are coming from. Reiterating my point, I have a hard time that one person can order another living person to die to restore an already dead or two already dead individuals. Um, but we have hashed that over and over and over. And I'm with you guys. I give this an eight. That's where I was before I came in, and that's pretty much where it stayed. Um, it is a phenomenal episode in, in certain ways. It had the ability to be... Great. It shows you everything that Voyager could be, and they should have went along this line, what Voyager could have become, what the tone of the show was supposed to be. It shows you it is maybe it's probably the best portrayal of Captain Janeway. This but, is what they believed she was going to be. Um, but and, it's still Voyager. Uh, well, no, it's not that. It was a phenomenal. It was an excellent story a Voyager at what it can be best at. But it also had evidence, you know, still there is what Voyager is worst at. Um, bad science. Premises that you didn't think all the way through and that you could have tweaked very easily. And some uneven acting across the, across the scale. And it comes to an eight, but it also... It's not just that it loses points because of bad science. If it was just bad science or it was just bad acting, I would leave this at a nine or a nine and a half. The problem is, is this showed me what Voyager was capable of doing. 
and it was capable of giving you something that should have been a nine, a nine and a half, or even a 10 if it had long-term impact on these characters or any type of impact on these characters. And it showed you what they could do and what they chose not to do because they because they wanted to be the easier thing of being Star Trek, the next generation, season 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And, and is it fair for me to reduce points on an episode because they chose not to be this good in other episodes? Maybe not. But this was always the schizophrenic problem with Voyager. If you stuck to the premise... You made great episodes. And think about it. The best episodes of Voyager are the ones that stuck to that premise. No third way out. No easy way out. No way to skate out of this one with your morality intact. When they did that, the show was great. But they only did that a couple of times a season. So, all right. That's kinda what reminds I've got. Kind of reminds me. It was the DS9 episode where Cisco had to kill a guy to set start a war to save the... Yeah, yeah, the one yeah. I said was the same, best episode of the Same Space thing Nine. with that yeah. the very end he says In the I Pale did, Moonlight. In the Pale Moonlight. If I had to do it again, would I? Absolutely. Yep. I would do exactly the same thing. The thing is, Deep Space Nine knew what it was supposed to be. It was an outpost on a war footing and it never lost that after it figured out what it was supposed to be. Voyager never was what it never wanted to be what it was supposed to be. And that's my biggest problem with you. You said, why do I not remember Voyager as fondly as others? Because it was supposed to be this, and then it was something else. Its premise said this, and its portrayal, and what got in the screen every week said something else. Ragemaster, what's going on at Raving Lunatic Media? Oh, there's a lot going on. We recently, just uh, on New Year's Eve, we dropped ZTF, the last episode written by yours truly, episode six, Skin of Their Teeth. Check it out. It's got the best action sequences in that drama. We still have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we still have all the cases of the case of the chills, case, uh, case closed, cross-examination, and you should be looking out for a new season of all those shows coming out pretty soon here. And of course, we have this show. So, and one of these days, Scott's going to do a quick rant again. He always, he always writes us and says, I have an idea for a quick rant. And then, um, I just get so crestfallen when I realize it's not going to happen. I have lots of ideas. They just never happen because I'm lazy. Well, also don't forget, we're going to have maybe next decade, the next episode of there. Oh, America Asunder. of America Asunder that you should listen to. Yes. Yes. I'll make Within you guys a deal. If I get 15 unique listens to America Asunder by next week, <clears throat> I will produce another episode of America Asunder by February 10th. Of this year? Of this year. Oh, boy. Oh, unique boy. listens. Hey, uh, Rock, why did you put that on Discord? And uh, yeah, I'm, put, sure, I'm sure we can get 15. We're putting that on Discord, ladies and gentlemen. We Sickies, if you want to hear more Scott's talk about the Civil War, go out and get 15 of your friends to listen. Even if they don't really listen, just get them to do unique <laughs> listens. And that way we have to make Scott eat his words. And we will. <laughs> hey, I said the one time if our video on YouTube that's probably no longer there got a million views, I'd let someone powerbomb me through our broadcast table. Thank oh, God that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> and that the statute back, of limitations has expired on that. Back well, plus the show ended. What was yeah. it, that one fall? Too bad. That was yeah, a, yeah. That had some that had some fun moments. So Yeah, but unfortunately that that promise won't be 
Nope. Kept, nope. So we're never going to get. Let's to see, keep this promise. We're never going to see Scott Power bombed into the table. Actually, I'm starting up a sports talk thing with TJ again on his own network called Hill Talk Sports. We do our first live broadcast tomorrow night. But I kind of made a deal that uh, I'm going to go on the air and, and say that if we get enough listens of a certain number, then I'll let TJ powerbomb me through something. Oh, Ooh. okay. So the, the powerbombing could still happen, Sicky. Anybody want to see in. me die or have a concussion <laughs> on the internet, it can happen. Tune in. www.ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com. Ragemaster, what's left for them to do? Stay sick, Sickies.